The title of the lesson is Proof of Faith. And, uh, you know, for some of y'all that uh, know me, I've never been a really a, a friend of uh, technology or Facebook or anything like that. And um, let's see if we got this going. Okay. But uh, I started that this year in the last couple of months. And, um, you know, evidently what we call friends these days isn't what we call friends back in the day, you know. But uh, <clears throat> when I think about that idea, you know, definition of a friend, you know, we talk about this idea of us being friends of Jesus and him being a, our friend. Um, what is it uh, that establishes that, you know, Jesus is our friend? Well, it's, you know, it's what he does. It's been proven, right? He's proved to be our friend. And, you know, last week we said something about, you know, basically the power of what I say versus the power of what I do. You know, uh, this statement that we see in our culture today, if you see something, say something, that's not nearly as good as if you see something, do something. And so, you know, this whole idea of establishing something or proving something, um, you know, we understand what that is. You know, I've um, been married a little over 10 years to Miss Carrie, and, you know, we could say, well, you know, we were friends from the beginning. Well, you know, at this point, uh, we both had a chance to prove it, right? Whether we have or not is another thing, but... Uh, you know, this idea of providing evidence, um, you know, a lot of times maybe in the religious world today, you know, folks think, well, okay, Jesus has provided the evidence of our friendship. You know, uh, he's, he's provided the proof. And, you know, wonder what I'm responsible for, uh, if anything, with regard to that. So, we're going to start here in 1 Peter 1 7. Be a lot of just reading the verses uh, today. I hope y'all can um, see what's up on the board. I think I've got, if I remember right, I've got all of these on here. I may not, uh, but uh, I, th I think they're up. So 1 Peter 1 7, and this is kind of where this uh, title comes from. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it talks about this idea of <clears throat> proof. And so I <clears throat> wanted to look at some of these definitions, uh, some of the uses that we find. And, you know, you, you pull that word out of that verse and look up, uh, what those definitions are. It says to test, to approve, analyze, approve, approved, examine, um, this idea of proving, test, to be tested, try, trying to learn. Um, and there's another form of it that we find in some of these other places. The pro you know, basically the, pr the process or result of trial, proving, approval, uh, ordeal, you know, this proof, proven character, proven worth, you know, the, this again, this idea of testing. And, you know, when I think about, you know, how the world uh, 
looks at this idea of approval. You know, uh, if you love me, you approve of me without any, you know, there's nothing attached to that. You just approve, whatever, right? That's, that means I love you if I approve of whatever. And when you look at really even the definition of that, you know, we talk about the world capturing terms and redefining terms and, you know, uh, basically getting away from the biblical ideas. Well, even if you come back and look at where you find approval, you find it in a context like this, in a definition like that. Kind of interesting. All right? More. It's a testing. Uh, and there again, this idea of being tested and approved, you know, they go together. Uh, Vine says a test, a crucible uh, as a noun uh, which has been taken to denote by means by which a man is tested and proved. And, you know, when I think about this idea of crucible, I think of these old-timey movies, you know, where somebody has to, you know, be, you know, slay a dragon or, they, you know, they have to do some big giant task. You know, it's, it's a test. So... <clears throat> As we are going through this and considering some of this, we've got some questions that I'd kind of like you all to think about and, and be looking for those answers as we're reading these scriptures. So, does testing indicate that there's a standard? You know, there again, I can talk back about our marriage. You know, um, <clears throat> she's got some ideas about what I'm supposed to do. i got some ideas about what she's supposed to do. And, you know, so both of those things kind of provide a bit of a standard, right? And so over time, we get a chance to put those things to the test. Anybody that's been married for any period of time knows that that's going to happen. You get a chance to put those things to the test. But it's all based really on a standard or an expectation. You know, there's going to be this, right? This is going to happen or whatever. Um, so testing indicates... Obviously, that there's some standard. Uh, you know, everybody in here's, you know, got a school teacher background knows that testing basically assumes some standard or some level, something to be achieved. All right. If the testing isn't to find out how we rank in our class, then what is it for? You know, that's um, kind of a thought that comes into our mind, I think automatically, you know, we think about this idea of teaching and rank and all of that. Um, so Galatians 6, 4, but each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. So, you know, uh, this idea of as I pass a test, am I passing a test to basically be ranked among you, or am I passing a test uh, so that I might have confidence in Him or confidence in my salvation? You know, what exactly is the purpose of this testing? Um, and I think Scriptures has a good bit to say about, you know, uh, Ranking us, uh, you know, me ranking myself with you is really not how to go about this, is it? Because when we go back to this idea of a standard and we're actually talking about the Bible and we say that we're New Testament Christians, uh, who is our standard? 
Jesus, right? So, uh, me, you know, me to do this among ourselves probably isn't all that profitable. So what does passing a series of tests usually indicate? Um, you know, you pass a test, you pass a test, you pass a test. It's for a purpose, right? I see some head nodding. I mean, we don't go to school and pass all those tests for no purpose, right? I've got still with us. I look out there. There's some active students in the room. Um, <clears throat> there's a purpose. At the end, there's a graduation. It says, you know, you've done these things. You've achieved these things. You know, we've approved of you, and we'll put our stamp on you, and you can leave here with that, and you can hang it on your wall and do whatever you want to with it, you know. Hopefully it's a benefit to you. So when we're thinking in terms of, you know, we talked a good bit in here about purpose. You know, the purpose of Christ's coming was to save. We adopt that purpose. We make that purpose our own. We see that he's applied a standard to that. We pass a series of tests. What's our graduation ceremony for these tests? Well, I've been, been a member now for 30 years. I've graduated, I'm going to put it up in neutral and coast down the hill the rest of the way. Is that, you know, so, yeah, I see the head nodding. That's not what it is, so we need to be thinking about those things. The testing will continue, will it not? All right. So how does the world work? <clears throat> There's sickness before recovery. There's battle before victory. There's death before resurrection. There's practice before perfect. There's a test before approval. How do you reckon your faith works? Right? Um, do you think your faith works kind of like this? Um, my faith is based on just how I feel about it. No? Right? It's based on evidence, right? That's what the book tells us. So, you know, how does my faith work? It works based on this idea of a test. You know, the longer I live, the more I look through the view of this word, guess what? The more I, my experience has been, the more true it is to me. Uh, the Bible tells me how people are going to react if I do this and that. Or, you know, what's going to happen if I do this and that? I get the benefit of he's letting me stay here a certain amount of time. I get to look back and go, wow, that's really how that works. You know, basically these things are being proven all the time. How does my faith get stronger? It's going to be through testing. Um, it's going to be through trial. It's going to be through battle. All right, let's do a little bit of Old Testament review. So Exodus 16, 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. So what's the test? It's a pretty easy test. I'm going to put the bread on the ground and you get a day's worth 
and you eat a day's worth and don't store up any extra. That's the test. All right, let's see how it goes. Exodus 16, 20. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. Deuteronomy 8, 1. And all the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember... All the way which your Lord, the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So we see uh, that this was a period of testing. Um, we understand what the purpose of that is. He says, so that he might know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So as we face trials, is it any different today? Would the testing that we receive in this life be for any other purpose? He humbled you and let you, uh, and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. So... Uh, when a man disciplines his son, what do we, you know, what's the purpose of that? We talked about that in our class this morning. It's because he loves you. Um, this discipline that we get uh, from our fathers that love us is for our benefit. Uh, that we might understand again how these things work. When, when do we find victory? It's after the battle, right? Uh, it's after some difficulty. Um, you know, if we want our kids to experience victory, do we protect them from every test, from every trial? Do we, you know, keep that umbrella over them all the time? Is that, you know, is that really how that works? Um, so he tells us what the purpose of these things are. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. So when we're thinking about this idea of being approved, or tested, you know, what is God's revealed purpose of this? We read earlier that so that he might know what is in our heart, but ultimately it's just like a parent, right? It's to do good for you in the end so that you might be what you need to be, so that you might be pass the test, so that you might be approved, so that you might be what? Saved. 
right? That you might receive the benefit of salvation. So still in the Old Testament, uh, in Psalm 17, you have tried my heart, you have visited me by night, you have tested me and you uh, find nothing. I have a purpose that my mouth will not transgress. As for the deeds of men, by the word of your lips I have kept uh, from the paths of the violent. My steps have held fast to your path. My feet have not slipped. I have called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to hear me, uh, hear my speech. And we'll have some questions about this in just a second. All right. Uh, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So according to David, who does this testing? If you remember back, he's talking about the Lord doing these things. You go back to verse 4, where do these standards come from? If you remember what that says, it comes from his words, comes from God. So these standards for this test, the test comes from God, the, the standard for this test comes from God. So, who's responsible for meeting that standard and for passing that test? And you see that David acknowledges, he understands that it's him. You know, basically his response to this, he's responsible for. So did you ever wonder, why does it seem that God's enemies, those that deny his authority and try to get me tangled up as well, are so numerous? And why doesn't he zap them all? You know, why doesn't he just take care of that for me? I mean, we talked about, you know, the parent that protects their kid from all of these trials and difficulties, right? Why not do it that way? So what about his people, the Israelites? We're still Old Testament doings. So in Judges... Chapter 3 says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan, only in order that the generations of the sons of Israel might be taught war. Those who had not experienced it formally. Wow. These nations are the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived in the mountains. In Mount Lebanon from uh, Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebo Hamath. They were for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. The sons of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and they took their daughters for themselves as wives and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. 
So according to Judges 3, 1 through 6, that his physical people might be taught physical warfare. If we are, as New Testament Christians, his spiritual people, what kind of warfare do you think we should be prepared for and be trained for and be tested for? What's going to be the test? What's our test going to look like? Are we surrounded by the Philistines and the Hivites and the Perizzites in a spiritual sense? And are those folks numerous? And have you ever kind of wanted them to just be zapped? Somebody put an umbrella over me and carry me through the rainstorm. Woo, right? And for testing to see if they would obey his commandments. What about spiritual Israel? What about Christians today? Is that what's going on? So what did they do? According to verses 5 and 6, they conformed not to his will, not to his words, but to the world around them is what they conformed to. Looking backwards at the Israelites, what do we see? We might make some conclusions. We might say, wow, they weren't very smart. Look at how they got all tangled up with the world and failed the test. I'm glad I'm smarter than that. Anybody ever read the Old Testament and have those kind of thoughts? I know I have. <clears throat> or maybe we think, I'm sure glad there's no idolatry in the world I live in today. Right? We might think, why, I'm glad that I don't have to experience the same kind of trials that those folks experienced. Is that true? No. I don't think it's much true that I'm smarter than they are. So let's just go through the New Testament, see what we find there. All right, Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove... What the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There's that word again. So why is it that we're not supposed to be conformed to this world? So that we might prove what the will of God is. So by not conforming to the world, I can provide proof to the world that my Creator's will is good and acceptable and perfect. And there again, is it by me saying it? Sure, that's part of it. But if I just say it and I don't do it, what does the world hear? My wife makes fun of me sometimes, says all I hear is wah, 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 wah. You know, and that's what folks hear when you're saying it and not doing it, right? First Corinthians eleven nineteen. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved doesn't that mean tested may become evident among you. Well, let's see. How does that work? So we have not the Philistines and not the Hivites and Perizzites. What do we got? We've got these spiritual enemies out there. <clears throat> we see that there's going to be divisions or factions among, among us. Why? Uh, so that those that are approved or tested may become evident among you. So 
Is that going to be some that's going to pass the test and some that's going to fail the test? Is that what's going to be evident? And let me, let me ask you this. Is the test whether or not folks will, be, will sin or not sin? We know they're going to sin, right? I'm going to sin, you're going to sin. It's pretty much going to happen. Uh, what's the difference? Where's the test? What, how about what they do afterwards? Do they sin and then repent? What if they sin and don't repent? Is that maybe the test? Is that how we know? Is that when it becomes evident? Okay, so 1 Timothy 4.15 Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. So I'm going through this test um, for a purpose. Not necessarily all about me, is it? You know, we talked about in our little class the other day, you know, sometimes you suffer and it's not really for you. You know, it's not always about you. Um, <clears throat> sometimes you may be suffering so that those around you might be made better. Sometimes you go through a trial for somebody else's benefit. This morning we talked about, you know, what if you've got all these siblings in the one gets the spanking for being disobedient. Do you have the benefit of learning from that? You do. You do. And so <clears throat> sometimes <clears throat> we've got tests to take, and it's so that our progress <clears throat> will be evident to all. And, of course, we can immediately know what the benefit of that is. Uh, you know, in the case where I would describe, you know, a one sibling getting punished so all can learn. What's the benefit? Basically, they see that this progress is being made and it's evident to all and hopefully all are pulled up by that. No better. So God knows, I know, and everyone else knows uh, who's paying attention. Uh, <clears throat> that's the purpose. So 2 Corinthians 2.9, For to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. So, well, what about love then? All right. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them proof of your love and our reason for boasting about you. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. So, so far, proof of what? You know, proof of God's perfect will, proof of your love, proof of your obedience. Um, and, you know, you look back through those verses and sometimes you can really see the link between love and obedience. Um, so what about faith? There again, that... We started in first in this verse, so that the proof of your faith being far, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls, for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently loving one another from the heart. <clears throat> 
So could it be that these other things are the proof of your faith? You know, when I think about this idea of proof of faith that we find in this verse, could it be that those other things are the proof of your faith? So <clears throat> we fall into this. I can say I can whatever. If stated honestly, is simply a listing of your potential. Um, I can run a mile. Potentially. Potentially I could run a mile. Okay. Um, I am, you know, I can say I am a Christian. But what is it? Without proof, it's what? It's just a claim. It's just something I said, but without doing it, you know, without that obedience, it's just something I'm saying. I can say I will, you know, um, there again, you know, I, we can say I will or I do. You know, I can say, you know, I was married, I made uh, some commitments, but what do they really mean? until I do those things, right? What's, what's the meaning of that? What's the proof? You know, uh, I would hope that I'm more approved in those things than I was 10 years ago, right? <coughs> so, when do any of these things that I might say mean something? Yeah. So, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you what? You fail the test. Unless indeed you fail the test. Now how often is this test? And we've talked about this preparation wheel now, you're spinning around that wheel all day, aren't you? <laughs> you know, that test comes pretty regular. And like we said a little earlier, you know, is the test necessarily that you're going to be perfect without sin, or is the test that when you do sin, you're going to react in those ways that you're supposed to act? And that when you do repent, you really do repent, and you, you're, not, you're committed to not doing that again. I um, hope that's it. So, <clears throat> turn with me yeah, to 2 Corinthians 4. Turn with me there, and we will be getting done pretty, pretty quick. Alright, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 10. Alright, therefore seeing we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost." 
in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in, unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath sent, shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forgot, forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So what do two things do you need for light to shine out of the darkness? How about light and darkness? You need those two things. <clears throat> What's the purpose of these trials, difficulties, and tests? How about that the life of Jesus may be manifested in us, that your life supplies evidence of His life? to a lost and dying world. <clears throat> Proof. <clears throat> Does your life provide this proof? And did it in the past? And the question really is, if not, why not? Um, and that's pretty much uh, the invitation thought. You know, if your life has once provided that proof, but no longer really is providing that evidence, that proof, um, that approval of Jesus' life. You know, I say I'm a Christian, so what evidence of Christ does my life provide to a lost and dying world? You remember, if all I do is say it, or all I do is slip on a t-shirt that's got, you know, some claim on it, some Bible verse, or I am whatever I say I am, and there's nothing that goes along with that, uh, that's just a bunch of noise, isn't it? And so as we examine ourselves and think about where we are, I hope we'll do that. Um, if you find yourself subject to his invitation, I'd invite you to come while we stand and sing.